Well, good morning and welcome. Thank, good morning and welcome and thank you for being part of Mariners today. It's good to see you guys. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here and um, hope you've had a great day. Weather is nice. What a beautiful day on the coast side. You won't be able to uh, drive anywhere in a couple hours because the traffic will stack up, but that's the way things go here. Hey, this morning I want to spend a few minutes talking about logos and symbols. You know, you drive around and you see a logo or you see a symbol and you know good place to get something to eat or a good place to get gas or something like that. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about that, and, and I want to see how good you are at identifying labels and logos. Okay? We're going to see how good you are on this one. So, so we'll see if you get 100%. Let's turn to the first one. first one, I made it real simple. <laughs> this one is either A, <clears throat> the A's logo, or B, the Giants logo. How many of you got that one right? Any of you got that one right? Okay, good. Okay. Next one. <laughs> That one. <laughs> this one is either A, the LA Dodgers, or B, the enemy. Which one is that? One? Next one. <clears throat> this next one. This is either A, Starbucks, or B, you're paying too much for your coffee. <laughs> next one should be easy. This local one. Here we go. This one is either A, Taco Bell, or B, inexpensive indigestion. Which one is it? Here we go. Next one. <clears throat> this one. Got that one in your head? Okay. This is either A, <clears throat> the 49ers, or B, after last season, I have chosen to forget. <laughs> Terrible. Next one. <clears throat> this is either A, in and out, or B, heaven. Which one do you choose? <laughs> this one's a little tough. This next one's a little tough, and we'll see how good you are, actually. Anyone know what this logo is? This is either A, a great church, or B, a great church with a good-looking pastor. Which one? Which, which one? Which A. Yeah, right, A. I got that one. <laughs> How about this one, last one, okay? And this is what we're going to be talking about. This is either A, a pile of rocks, or B, a pile of rocks. You know, which, which one is it? And, and I want you to keep in mind a pile of rocks because it's going to kind of be a constant theme of what we're going to be going through um, this morning, we're going to be talking about piles of rock and a couple other weird symbols and a couple other weird things that happen um, as we move through this morning and see how it kind of can touch our lives even today. So let's pray, all right? God, thank you now for a moment. You have given us um, your word, the Bible, and in it we can learn and grow. And I'd pray you give me the right words to share right now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series we're calling Facing My Future. And, and we call it that because, first of all, we kind of kick off the new year, and whenever you're in the new year, you start thinking about stuff in the future. You know, you're thinking about maybe New Year's resolutions or new commitments that you want to make, and so we are all facing our future. Also, we as a church face some new opportunities. We're calling it New Wave, and you're going to be hearing more and more and more about this as the weeks go on, as we want to position ourselves in a way which we can reach and touch more, more co-siders for Jesus Christ. We want to do it effectively, and we want to do it humbly in the way God would want us to, us to do. And so we, not only as a church, are facing our future right now, but you as a person are also facing your future, and you're making decisions and choices that will affect you down the road. 
at a good place to kind of get us ready, you know, ready for the future that we all have, is, believe it or not, a Bible book called Joshua. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Joshua. If you haven't, you should. It's a, it's a great read. It's a good story. And just kind of to kick it off, to understand it, it's in the Old Testament. And if anything is in the Old Testament, what the Old Testament does, it is going to have God reveal himself through the work that he's doing through the nation of Israel, through the people called Israel. It's God working there, and God is going to reveal who he is and what he's like through that. In the New Testament, of course, it's, excuse me, through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, is God revealing himself through Israel. But the book of Joshua is also about, you know, surprise, Joshua himself. Moses has died, and Joshua was second in command, and he's now taken over. A little freaked out by the whole thing, but he's now in charge of the nation of two million people, and his mission, and he chose to accept it, was to go over and begin to conquer the whole Canaan land of the Canaans, or the Canaanite region, which is the promised land. Now, now, quickly and simply, on a map, they were camped here, two million of them, and as we looked last week, all they did was they crossed the, the river, but it was a pretty big deal, and they're now camped over here on the other side. You got that? They're there, and now they're here, and you're thinking... Wow, okay, but there's more that's going on at this point in time. And, and they've crossed the Jordan, and, and here's where the rocks come in, okay? It says this, the Bible says this, So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. Chose 12 guys, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, you're, you're number 12, you're going to go to. Chose 12 guys, and they went into the parted river to get a rock. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. Carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Now, now just imagine these guys are going into the river to, to get the rocks, you know. And so one guy is, is picking up his rock, and it's probably this size. But, but the other guy is watching this guy pick up one this size, and if he's going to pick up one this size, then I'm going to pick up one what? These are guys, okay? I'm going to pick up one this size. You know, and the other guy is looking at that, and he says, well, if he's going to get one this size, remember, these are guys, okay? I'm going to get one this size, you know? And soon it became, you know, bigger is better competition, so they're now hauling these big, huge rocks <clears throat> out, of, out of the river to see who can carry the, the biggest one. And it says this, they're doing this to serve as a sign among you. It's a sign, it's a symbol, it's, it's a logo. It's going to mean something that when you see it, it should do something in you. Now we're going to come back to the pile of rocks to see what the sign means in a few moments. But there is something else that's going to happen that's symbolic as well. And, and this is something else they do, and it's a little bit more delicate on this one. And this would be, and if you're looking at the notes, it's going to be circumcision. Let me read. It says, this, At the time the Lord told Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gilgal. Any of you know what circumcision is? Any of you know what circumcision is? Good, tell your neighbor, because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, it's a guy thing, okay? And it's something that happens to guys when they do something to something, okay? That's what it is. And if you need more, Google will probably answer all the questions you could ever possibly have on circumcision. But the question is not what is it. The question is going to be why. Why, why, do, why that? 
I mean, what's that have to do with anything? Well, it, it has a whole lot to do with a whole lot of stuff. And it meant a lot of stuff to the Israelites. And what it means is, is that a person is a member of the community of people belonging to God. That's what it means. If you were circumcised as an Israelite, you were part of the people that were belonging to, to, to God. And you think, well, again, why, why that particular thing? And it goes back. And if you want to look in your Bibles, it goes back into, into the book of Genesis in chapter 15. And it's God's symbol to Abraham. God promises Abraham a kid. Abraham and his wife, they don't have kids. They have no kids, and they can't have kids. And what Abraham said is, I'm believing my future kids are from you, God, and from your promise. And anything that's born from me will be a result of your promise, and I, by faith, believe that. And so out of Abraham, out of him and his kids, became the promised people, or the nation of Israel. They came out from Abraham. And you see why, since it's a procreative act that happens, circumcision is a good symbol. Now, for 40 years, they hadn't done it. Why not? And this is a little bit of biblical theology, and so, so check out for a second if you want to, but I think it's really fascinating. 40 years, no one had been circumcised, and you ask the question, well, well why not? Well, it's because God's promise was for his promised people in the land. God's promise for the people was, is in the land, the land I have promised you. And that generation of people had refused. And that means they were not part of the promise. And all kinds of things are going on here for today. If you refuse God's gift, you're no longer under his promise. And they weren't. And so, therefore, the physical symbol wasn't there. So you've got, you know, you've got piling stones here. You've got cutting off guys there you know they're doing that that kind of kind of thing and there's one more thing that's going to be happening here in this kind of whole thing that's compressed down and it's one of my favorites the bible says this when joshua was near the town of jericho and we ask ourselves okay why is joshua near jericho because they're camped about four miles away joshua's near the town of jericho and i think it happened like this i think the battle plans had been drawn up and it's like the night before they're going to attack you know things are all prepared you know and Joshua, you know, what's he going to do? He, he, he wants to scope out the place, you know. And besides, none of the guys can play basketball with him. You know, they're all suffering from the circumcision deal, and so he's got nothing else to do. So Joshua's probably a bunch of nerves, and it's night, and he's on his, on his own. And he's just trying to, I think he's trying to get his head around this whole thing that they're going to be doing. They're now in the land, and God's going to do a miraculous thing, but they've got this massive fortified city with, you know, thousands of fighting people on the inside. And so he decides to go for a walk and to look at Jericho and to see for himself how big it is. And he's quiet, it's quiet, and he's thinking all alone by himself. And it says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Okay? Sword in hand, right there. And it's pretty cool. You know, he turns a corner, and all of a sudden there's a guy there that's got a sword drawn or maybe he just steps out in front of him. And Joshua's a military guy. Someone draws a sword on you, you do what? You draw your sword. Because there's going to be a fight that's going to happen here. Instincts take over. You're ready to fight. And you've got to see the tension in this. Two guys facing each other now, both sword in hand. Joshua demanded, are you a friend or foe? If it's a friend, they'll ally. They'll talk. 
If he's a foe, they'll what? They'll fight. You know, dum, dum, dum. You know, here's the tension going on. Joshua demanded, are you a friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And so we got, we got these three things going on. You've got 12 stones piled up, and you've got circumcision, a bunch of those things going on. And then you've got one commander of the Lord's army. How do we pull this stuff together? You know, I live in Half Moon Bay, and, you know, in 2017, and I've got a future ahead of me, and I've got car payments, and I've got, you know, classroom and you know, school to work out and all these kinds of things. What's the point for me down here in Half Moon Bay? Let's, let's kind of land this, okay? Let's talk about the circumcision thing first. Circumcision is for us to see as a symbol and a reminder and a logo or a symbol of who I am. What God is saying is, remember, you're a people of God. And as a people of God, you have a purpose and you have a point. You're set apart for God's plan. You are part of God's plan and part of his purpose to be his people and to spread that purpose to others. And that's why Israel existed. And that's why we exist. Now, around here, I don't know who's circumcised. I don't want to know who's circumcised, okay? So don't raise your hands on, on, on this one. Back then, it was a physical thing. Okay, it was. It was a symbol that you're a person born of the promise, born of Abraham. You are a person now born of the physical promise given to Abraham of God's promise. And so it was remember who you are. Remember, this is who you are in life. You are a people of God, and you were born under the promise God gave. And they would remember, I'm born under the promise of God, the God himself. Jesus came, and things changed a little bit. What Jesus said is it doesn't matter what's done on the outside. What matters is what's going on where? On the inside. And that's why Jesus gave this great statement. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Back then, you were born, you got circumcised to be part of the promise. Now, when Jesus came, it's not the physical birth that's important. It's the spiritual birth that's important. Born again, reborn. It means a personal faith that you have made that Jesus is your Savior. Not the Savior, you know, but your Savior. That you have said, I identify with this. This is who I am. This is one of the reasons we do baptism as part of the identification of that. And, and I don't like just lists, but this is a cool list that, that threw up. Go ahead. You know, this means when, you're, when you become reborn in Christ, you're God's child. You're a friend of Jesus Christ. Free from condemnation. Isn't that cool? Member of Christ's body, complete in Christ, a citizen in heaven, light of the world, seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. God's perfect workmanship. You're bought with a price. You're able to approach God with freedom and confidence. You are loved by God, and nothing can separate you from that love. Isn't that cool? Always remember who you are. In challenging times, remember who you are. And in temptation, remember who you are. When your friends want you to do something you shouldn't do or when your business wants you to do something you know you shouldn't do, you remember who you are. Second thing deals with Joshua meeting that guy. And if you're filling the blankets, remember whose side you're on. Um, You know what I wish would go away, like forever? Politics. You know, I wish it would just go. How many of you got sick of politics this past year? Oh, man, I just did. It didn't go away. It didn't stop, you know. It kept happening. And I don't like politics, and I don't like the residue of politics and people taking sides. 
because it eventually leads to people saying, God is on this side or God is on that side. You know, God is on our side. You know where this is going, don't you? Here we have Joshua outside alone at night. You know, he's an Israelite. You know, he's part of the promised people of God. You know, he is fighting for the promised land and for God's people. And, and over there in Jericho, Jericho, they're Canaanites. They're like pagans, the worst of the worst of the worst. And Joshua doesn't know who this guy is. He may have been just a Jericho guy that's coming out to get some air, have a smoke or something like that. He doesn't know who he is. So you have Israelites here and you have the Canaanites there. Joshua meets this guy in the dark and he asks him, are you on our side or are you on their side? Whose side are you on? Canaanites or the Israelites? Clear choice, right? Whose side is God on? Is he on the Israelite side or is he on the Canaanite side? We ask the same question. God, are you on the Democrat side or the Republican side? You for the minorities, you for the downtrodden, you for those, those in power. God, whose side, whose side are, are, are you on? And God says this. Neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not on anybody's side. By the way, the figure there was a representation of God. There's a theological term for it symbolic of God. He's saying, I'm not on this side. I'm not on that side. God is saying, I am the side. I'm the only side. There's only one side in this universe. And God is saying, and that's me. That's my, my side. And I don't want to get a whole lot of people bugged at me, but I don't, I don't mind. God is so much bigger than any of our little sides. So much bigger than that. And God is doing something so much bigger. You know what God's side is in this world? This is God's side. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And if we want to be on God's side, it says this. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation, meaning the chance to tell people everywhere in the world about Jesus Christ. You see how all of a sudden it rises up above our little political squabbles that we have now to see a much bigger purpose that's going on here? God's side is going to all the world and make followers. That's God's side. God's side is this. Give honor and respect to the person in authority in government over you. That means this current president, and that means the past president. That's God's side because he told us in the Bible. I love my country, and I think the United States is one of the best countries ever. But you need to understand something. God is not on America's side. I almost sound weird saying that. God's not on America's side. He's never been on America's side. God's on God's side, and he's always been on his side. And I think countries should align with God's principles and God's values. I agree with that. I agree with all that stuff, by the way. But God is on God's side. And God's plan is so much bigger than all of this. It says this, that this Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. All of a sudden now it kind of didn't matter the whole whose side are you on. What mattered now was God and bowing before him in worship. 
The last thing is, is the stones, and that's always remember what God did for me. It says, he told them, go to the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Why stones? Why not a plaque? You know, why not a sign? Because it was river rock, and the stones were taken from the middle of the river and carried not just to the bank of the river, carried about four miles away. It says, it goes on, in the future your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you could tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. It's because one day your kids, you know, you're going to take them on vacation to Jordan National Park or whatever, whatever's there. And they're going to they're be climbing around on these big rocks and jumping off and things like that. And they're going to say, what's with these rocks? And you could say, you know what, these rocks, see that river down there, way down there? Those rocks are in the middle of the river. And your kids are going to ask, well, how did they get here? And you're going to say, let me tell you. God parted the river. And proof of that is these are river rocks, and they're carried up here. God is real. And that's where he was real. I told you there's a house in Southern California. I told you the story before. I'll tell it again. Um, there's a home in Southern California. It's, not, it's just a normal house, normal neighborhood. It does not stand out. It's in a normal town. And when I'm down there, I'll, I'll drive by it as often as I can. Or I'll park out in front of it until I look like a weirdo, you know, and then I have to drive off. What I'd really want to do, and I just don't have the nerve, is I'd like to go to the door and, and, and knock and ask the people if I could go inside just for a minute. All I need is a minute inside this house. See, the house is where I grew up. Um, it's where I grew up, and it's where, it's where I made, committed my life to Jesus Christ. And I like to stand in that spot, just go around inside the door, right around into the kitchen, and there's one spot, and I know the spot. It's burning in my mind. I'd like to think through and even tell the people there and say, this is a place where I really met Jesus, right here. This is where I met Jesus. Do you have that place? Do you have that spot? Do you have a place where you've met Jesus where you could say definitively, this is where I met God, and God became real to me through Jesus Christ? For some of you, it's Hume Lake. We have a number of kids that have grown up, and they went, they went to Hume Lake, and maybe they're here even right now. That they can remember there's a, there's, there's a big chapel area, and there's chairs and pews and all that kind of stuff. And maybe they're saying, that's the spot right there. And if I were to go back to Hume Lake, I could sit in that seat, and I could say, that's where I met Jesus, right, right, right there. Maybe it may be this building right here. Maybe this is where, or maybe the old building at Shoreline Station. If you're a parent here with kids in our children's program, you have a surprise waiting for you, um, believe it or not. Right now um, in the kids' program, the kids are being actually handed um, a stone, just like this one, um, a stone like this, a rock. Your kids are going to come out with a rock, um, and we are giving them instructions because they are going to come out and they are going to ask you a question. And they're going to say, what does this stone mean? And, and this is going to give you a chance to take them to Joshua chapter 3 and read the story of the crossing of the Jordan and how God did that. 
And then you can take them to Joshua chapter 4 and read how they set up the 12 stones to remember where they connected with God. Now, now, now don't worry. Um, we're not leaving you blind on this. The kids also have a little bookmark here, and it's going to give you, the parent, instructions on what to do here. It's got it all lined out here. Because I know a lot of you parents are saying, I'd love to have a spiritual conversation with my kids. I don't know how. I don't have opportunity, and I can't figure out when I can do it best. Well, here's, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you sometime this afternoon to say to your kids, let me tell you the story of the rock. And we're going to look at it here, and we're going to read our Bibles and talk about it this way. Now, there's one more part on here, and this is the hard part. Because you've talked about the stone, you've talked about Joshua and Israel, and you've talked about the parting of the Jordan and why the rocks are piled there. The hard part is you need to talk about you. Talk about the time and the place when you met Jesus, when you did. Because some of you parents have never said to your kids, this is where I met Jesus Christ. And this is how I did it. The Bible says, Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you could tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we'd all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and you might fear the Lord your God forever. Isn't that cool? You Harper kids, if you're here, you get in on this too. Don't let your parents slide on it. You can share your story as well, okay? Um, I, always, I always wonder where the stones are now, you know, that pile of stones. I wonder where they are now, you know? Those 12 stones that were, that were piled up. I think they got forgotten. I think they got tread upon or pushed aside after a while, nation after nation conquered Israel. But it doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter because something better has come. We would call it the chief cornerstone, and that would be Jesus Christ. And so that pile of stones is gone in history, and that's okay. And what we're going to do now, though, symbolizes that and remembers Jesus. And I want to ask the worship team to come on up right now.